0: Hello. Oh, hello John. How are you doing? Hi there, Dan. What's going on?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. I just getting uh, getting all sort of sorted, getting sorted. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting sorted. I'm leaving tomorrow morning for the uh, Jonathan Colton cruise. That's excellent. Yeah. 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 Are you excited yeah.
0: for that? Are you performing or doing any um any of your shows or anything?
1: I have to do something to to uh, earn my freight. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm taking Ken Jennings this year, and we're going to do oh, the home, fun, very fun. The bus. there. Is this yeah. his first one? Yep, yep. I don't think they've ever been on a cruise even. And I'm also learning a Rush song, which is proving very difficult, very difficult to learn. Tom Sawyer? No, that was one of the options. No, I'm doing Limelight. Okay. And, you know, it's not hard, except that I'm not, I'm not that kind of guitar player, you know, I'm a different kind. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to learn how to be an Alex Lifeson. And, and it's, uh, it's straining my, my it's, it's not that my head doesn't know where everything goes. It's just that my, I don't have the dexterity to oh yes. get from part to part, you know? Right. Like, yeah. If you were like, play that part, I would go, here it is. Da, 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 and they're like, okay, go to the other part. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that other part's over here. I gotta get over there to that. Yeah. So it's one of those. And I got some glasses made yesterday because my old glasses weren't working, but um, you know, I have an astigmatism and uh, it's increased quite a bit. And so the glasses I had made yesterday, which were made cheaply by a by a cheap mass market glasses making company. Uh-huh. Uh, they have that thing, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the focal point at the very center of the lens is correctly my prescription. But as soon as I look at all to the periphery of the lens, mm-hmm. if I move my eyes, in other words, it um, it's no longer in focus. Because yes, I the, deal with
0: that all the time. That's why I have to go with what what are called high index lenses, because no. regular whatever the poly whatever the name of the regular kind is that doesn't work for me because it just because of the nature of my particular crap ass prescription when i do exactly what you're saying you look a little bit to the right or the left with your eyeball as opposed to turning your head like uh, like a uh, tim burton batman Um, you, you, it distorts completely and is especially distracting. I noticed when you're driving or looking Mm. at other cars or watching a movie or something like that. Uh, yes, I know exactly
1: what you're talking about. It's horrible, super frustrating. (laughs) And you know, and my old glasses were, uh, the prescription was no longer accurate at all, but it was all kind of a soft blur, you know, like everything just sort of it was all a little bit out of focus. But now I have this hyper focus in the middle and then uh, I get seasick looking around. So it's not fun to go buy a new thing and to put them on and think it's going to be great. And then it's like, ugh, it's just one more thing that's not great. And I feel like the technology of making glasses is all has all improved and computers and they can make them in an hour etc cetera, etc cetera. they don't have to send them off to somebody with a green visor who's grinding the lenses on a wheel but the computer at the cheapo place has just got one set of coordinates right <laughs> now i think that like you're saying Middles. yeah middle <laughs> There's like fancy glasses I can get that have thousand points of light. Yeah.
0: That's the kind well, I have to use or else I can't see anything at all. It's so stupid. And yeah. John, my prescription, I have an astigmatism and my yeah. astigmatism is on a, what they call an axis.
1: Yes. Mine
0: too. Okay. So you're in the same crap boat that I'm in because most people who are just nearsighted or farsighted or have a mild astigmatism like like those are people who wear contact lenses and they have no problem it just it's the lens is curved and it's curved but if mine if it's rotated just a little bit oh rotated yeah oh, oh man forget it forget it it's completely blurry and uh what a crappy world we live in sometimes well here's the
1: thing i learned about <laughs> my
0: astigmatism um
1: mine has mine has gone from like 0.75 to 2.75 in just a, you know, handful of years. Yeah. But my two, both eyes have it, and both eyes have it identically, and it's almost perfectly vertical up and down. So I have like a cat eye astigmatism. Um, It's not, it's not rotated. It's just like straight up and down. Mm. So for whatever reason, my eyes, my lens, my whatever, the whole apparatus there is like, uh, is squeezing in from the sides or something. I'm not, I don't know why. I don't know why my, I, I have a flat eyeball too. Anyway, all of this is fascinating. If you are an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, uh, but not apparently very interesting to an optician, unless the optician is like a killer one. Who's like, I've got a machine that makes them according to a thousand points of light. So I'm headed out. I'm headed out tomorrow morning, and uh, like all travel, it's just stressful as it gets closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned I'm 19 out of 21 in uh, in the line for an upgrade to first class. So it's probably mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get it. 19 out of 21 possible people, but because of the recent um, uh, viral epidemic that's now taken a great toehold here in seattle washington yeah i mean Who it's, it's an,
0: an awkward time to a be in seattle uh, yep. b be traveling to and from seattle c yep. be going on a cruise i mean yep. you're kind of stacking it against you right there
1: yes i am headed out i could be ken and i discussed it we could be patient zero and patient one <laughs> Of taking the (laughs) coronavirus from Seattle to Florida (laughs) onto a cruise and infect 3,500 nerds. Yeah. I don't think so. But don't worry, none of them will tweet about it, so you're fine. (laughs) Nope, we're just going to be quarantined off of Fort Lauderdale for two months while we sit there and all die. Anyway, hopefully that's not uh, the case, but maybe the other 19 people ahead of me on the on the list to get upgraded to first class maybe all of them will opt not to fly maybe the plane will be totally empty and i'll just be like wow i'm the i'm the man i don't know i don't i have no idea i went to the mall to get my glasses and it was pretty empty Mm -hmm. so people are people are scared of the of the uh epidemic the pandemic
0: yes they say not to use the word pandemic anymore oh
1: oh sorry? I'll we'll yeah. back it off. I'll back yeah. it off. Just call not, it
0: I, I, I mean, I'm not telling you not to use it. I'm saying they.
1: They. Th- they. They have a long list of words not to use, and, <laughs> and apparently, uh, now pandemic is among them, so I will stop right. it. Right. I don't want to hear from them.
0: Apparently, pandemic uh, is an antiquated term that they're really, because you can't, there really wasn't a definition for pandemic that the who thought was acceptable or it it just, it's a scary word. So they've stopped using it.
1: Yeah. 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 It is scary. It
0: is scary. Words. There was an interesting article, um, not to make this whole show about the news or, cause, I mean, I know this isn't, you know, it's a news show that we're sure. doing here. This sure is for, is, yeah. you know, but, uh, there was an article that came out that I, I will put in the show notes, uh, but I tweeted it and the, it's, it's an article that is written, by uh jeremy samuel faust faust um who is a i'm not sure if they're a, an epidemiologist or or what did they say what they are in the article uh but they know what they're talking about they're one of these people who really know things
1: sure one of the people that know what they're talking about right they know things yeah happy to meet them
0: and um and so what you know they they basically break this down and and they talk about and this is the part that I wanted to talk to you about more than the actual data itself but in this article the, the guy breaks down it's published in slate i will put it in the show notes uh, basically he breaks down what's really going on and why the numbers that that have been floating around so much in the news they talk about, I'm sure people are, are now familiar with a term that nobody really should be familiar with, the um, CFR, which is case fatality rate. Oh, that's, yeah. That's the number that says this percentage of people could die from a thing. Right. And, and by the way, he uses the term pandemic a lot.
1: Oh, boy.
0: I know. I know. Uh, but he basically breaks it down and explains why this isn't deadly. Or I mean, it will be deadly for some people, but why it's not like universally deadly and why if you're a healthy person, uh, you know, under age 70, then you really um, it's not it's not this super fearful, deadly thing for, for most people. They even talk about how many people are, are asymptomatic or very mild symptoms Uh, And how that actually can lead to people who are saying, I don't feel that bad, but they actually then communicate the disease by by not quarantining and all of that stuff. So there's a... On the one hand, it's good. Oh, I don't really have any symptoms. On the other hand, it's bad because now I went to the mall and <laughs> oops. Soft on everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but one of the things that, that he says in the article that really resonated with me is he says healthy people, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about because I know you're kind of a hoarder. Healthy people who are hoarding food, masks, and hand sanitizer may feel like they're doing the right thing, but all good atten- intentions aside, these actions probably represent misdirected anxieties.
1: Yes. And misdirected anxieties.
0: Misdirected anxieties. And that's the interesting thing is because, I mean, like I was watching the news the other day and I was in a grocery store the other day, just getting our regular crap. And you know, like people are like hoarding water. And that's the one thing I tweeted about this too. I haven't really been on Twitter much over the last six months really, but I tweeted this because I was curious what, you know, the, you can find the common man on Twitter. They're there.
1: Uh, yes, they are. There they are. And Hello,
0: I wanted common to folk. It's the only way, John, that I can really talk to the common, the common folk. Sure. Is through Twitter. So I tweeted and I said, what's the and I was legitimately asking. I wasn't making fun. I was asking because I really wanted to know what's the thinking. Yeah. Behind hoarding or stockpiling or even stocking up on bottled water.
1: Well, because the flu is going to uh, is going to shut off the water supply. It's that's, one of the first things that the flu does. Dan, right? When it takes over a country.
0: Right. That was my question: Is yeah. what about COVID nineteen is going to make the water stop? And there were a lot of people who said, "I don't want to be quarantined at home and not have water." I'm like, "Well, why wouldn't you have water?" Well, because they why say you're you have- you're quarantined at home. You can't go out. You need water. I said, "Okay, well, why wouldn't your tap work?" <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Well, well, no, we do kind of know what's going to happen. The last pandemic, which I shouldn't use the word, but was the H1N1, a.k.a. swine flu. That was that in 2009, I want to say. Yeah. Maybe it was year before that. But I heard
1: that was a bad one in terms of its fatality was. It was, it was yeah. bad, and I knew people that got it. And it, at, at no time did the water supply go off. Right. I actually had uh, – the swine flu and it was bad. Was it? But, but I heard that it was, um, I heard that it it killed a large proportion uh, relative to other flus.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, that was not a good, that was not a good situation, but it didn't affect the water supply. And so my question was, why would this affect the water supply? And so one, one of the people who answered me after I asked that question to them, they said, well, if people are made to be quarantined, then no workers would come in. I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you're saying that if there's a quarantine on people in Austin, that the people who maintain the most important parts of our infrastructure, power, water, that those people would be affected by the same quarantine and that they're not going to be allowed to work with the. Realistically, John, let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to have an all hands meeting and they're going to say, "All 'all, y'all, we're issuing you guys some of the uh, the N95 uh, respirators. Go ahead and put those on, see it work. That's what's yeah. going to happen because yes. the water will flow just like the spice and dune. The water yes. must flow, John. And so flow. the power must flow too. It will also stay on. Yes. Those things will stay yes. on. Yes. Even if there are some sick people in the power plant or the water facility the water will flow. And so that's yes. why I don't understand. And also beside that, let's say you want to stockpile water. Not a bad idea to do it. Sure. Why are they buying bottled water in bulk? Oh, why bad not way to just bad. get a five-gallon jug from the grocery store and fill it from your freaking tap
1: now? That's what it is. Yeah, you need to do that. Yeah, you need to, if you're gonna stockpile water, you need to have a better system than bottled water. Because bottled water is bad. It's bad for your young young daughters, it's bad uh, it's it's got all the um it's got all the in it. Um, fluoridation, the government's plot sh- to brainwash. Sure, it. all of that. Chemtrails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, people don't know how to panic, Dan. It's part of the problem. You They're know, crappy you gotta, panickers. That's they what they really are. are. They're <laughs> shitty panickers. People have, uh, because our society is governed by free floating anxiety, and that uh-huh. free floating anxiety floats around <clears throat> and it hears little things, right? It hears like, oh, you know, I should carry fishing wire among my everyday carry uh, components in case. Uh, Everything goes haywire while I'm at work and I can't get home and through a cascading series of events, I will one day need to fish in order to survive and be unable to find wire. So there are people, everyday carry uh, devotees, who are carrying fishing equipment Uh (laughs) in their pockets. Right. Because they have conjured a, a series of events, a disaster mm-hmm. that compounds and forms a a wave of disaster that eliminates everything, mm-hmm. like everything, including wire, scrap wire that you might find if you ever really needed, if you came all the way down to all the food in all the grocery stores is gone. There is no for, you cannot forage in people's homes after they've all been raptured. Like all the food is gone. (laughs) Uh Millions are starving and they're, they're zombies and they're clawing their wet, you know, they're, they're this famished mass and you're there with your pocket full of fishing wire (laughs) able to survive, you know, up on some healthy stream, pulling, silvers out and cooking them by a fire with a little container of garlic that you kept in your fanny pack and it, so it's a it's a it's a beautiful vision I think for people that have it who feel that they cannot be caught off guard right but the problem is that you know that as they are yeah, after the disaster has befallen us and the millions are, uh, you know, are uh, zombieing and they've got their super rig and the fishing line and their, you know, their sniper scope and all this stuff. And then a seagull drops a rock on them or whatever. I don't know. Seagulls haven't killed a lot of people recently, but like, you can't, you can't prepare for everything, right? No, you can't.
0: No. But I think you're onto something because I think that, you know, first of all, I mean, we're not belittling the fact that like coronavirus can kill people like that's nope. a
1: real thing. It's killing people.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think it just comes from this desire, like we were talking about before, the anxiety of it is that, like, you, you like, wait a minute, there's this thing out there that I could get without even knowing that I'm getting it. Yep. Or if I do something as innocuous as touch my face, then I could get this thing that my Igma could kill me. And and based on these numbers that we keep hearing, which are which are as as explained in this article are, are not right, but that there's a percentage chance that it could kill me. So what I I better have whatever what can I do to protect myself against this invisible invader that could kill me and my family? Well, I I could get water. Right. I could get hand sanitizer. Because washing my hands that means getting up from the desk. That's stupid. I need hand sanitizer, I need that in my pocket uh, cause soap is stupid. That's not a really a chemical, but like I want to put a chemical to kill it cause like I gotta get a chemical. but it makes it does make sense because people are and i mean i would rather I'd rather people. Take precautions that not take precautions, you know, but also the, it's, it's more the mentality around it. And I mean, John, I grew up in Florida where we have hurricanes every 15 or 20 minutes and you know, I was there for Andrew, Hurricane Andrew, for people who don't know, I forget the year, was it, was it in 92, 91, 92 and And this was, so there are different categories of hurricanes. Um, It it starts out as a tropical depression, becomes a tropical storm, becomes a hurricane, and at hurricane, and these are all based on the amount of uh, the speed, generally speaking, uh, the speed of the wind. That's the general marker for what increases the category of hurricane that it is. There are other factors. There's barometric pressure, there's speed, there's cohesion, and other things. You can tell I'm an amateur meteorologist, and Uh, And but the main thing when they're talking about categories is sustained wind strength. So sustained wind strength, just like you have the Fujita scale of tornadoes an F1, F2, that kind of thing. You have categories of hurricanes. So category one is the weakest and category five is being the strongest. And Andrew was a category five. Those are very rare to even see a category five, but the conditions lined up perfectly. And this hurricane grew to become a category five and hit a major metropolitan area, Miami. And it, destroyed a huge portion of Miami and Miami beach and surrounding areas. There were people I knew that had lived there. uh, And like the shopping mall that they'd gone to their whole life was completely gone. When you get a category five uh, hurricane, I mean the, the speeds of the wind uh, in, in a category five hurricane are, I would have to look up the exact Let me do that right now. Okay. Winds are 157 miles per hour or higher. Uh, You're talking about metal buildings collapsing. You're talking about all the windows in a high rise being blown out. You know, Um, mobile homes are completely destroyed and regular homes are mostly destroyed. And, you know, trees uprooted, that kind of thing. Power outages that last weeks to months. Then you get water shortages. And so seeing Andrew go through really woke me up to the fact of like, wow, these things really, even if they don't kill you, like they're going to inconvenience you for months. And I remember after we had hurricanes go through, um, even, even week two to three category hurricanes, there'd be people with tarps on their roofs for months because there's only so many roofers and they can only fit in so many jobs. And if you were unlucky enough to have you know, 20% of your shingles ripped off your house, you're putting tarps up. And what happened was every time there'd be any kind of tropical storm going on that looked like it could be even weeks away from potentially hitting, like when there's still a chance that it just spins off to sea or goes to another state entirely, South Carolina, whatever, uh, people would panic. They would top off their gas tanks. They would... Go out and, and try to uh, stock up on all the water that they could. They were having buy. You know, there was a run on the generators. They need everyone needed generators, and then they needed the gas to fill them up. And inevitably, what would happen? There'd be the hurricane would spin off to sea or dissipate or strike 200 miles north or south as a tropical depression and dump some rain, and nothing would happen. And yeah, sometimes we had an Andrew. But it was the uncertainty that made people nervous. Is this going to be an Andrew or is this going to be a tropical depression that does nothing? And I saw this time and time again. I remember a year or two ago here in Austin, there was a hurricane that was affecting Houston. I think it was back when Houston was having the flooding or something. And Houston or somewhere, I'm sorry, John, I don't remember all the details, but they had run out of gas, And so for whatever reason, people in Austin then, even though we were completely unaffected in every way by this issue, people in Austin started to get worried that they were going to run out of gas too, that all our gas stations were going to run out of gas. So what did they do? They went to the gas, everybody went to the gas station, not because they were out of gas in their truck or their car, but to top it off. And then people started going and bringing their gasoline containers and filling those up. So in addition to the regular traffic of people getting gas, now you had people topping off their tanks and people bringing their gas containers and filling those up. So guess what happened? We started to run out of gas in Austin until we ran out of gas because people were doing this. And I was like the only person I knew saying on Twitter, please don't go fill up your gas tank. You don't need it. And I had friends, people who are intelligent, people who have been to college, even people who are professionals in careers that are doing great work, people I admire, tweeting, you better go get gas, better go get it. I just filled up my tank and my wife's tank, better hurry out and get it now. And people were listening to them and doing it. And then guess what? I couldn't fill up my tank because it happened to be a Wednesday and Wednesday is when I get gas and I wasn't reacting to the disaster, the perceived disaster. I just couldn't get gas because everyone else had gotten it. So I did not. So it not. turns
1: out they were right, Dan. You should have gotten gas. I know. Gas. I should have gotten gas. So you should know what I did?
0: A... You know what I did? I what? waited a couple of days. Yeah. And then all well, the gas stations to gas, had no, to gas again.
1: Should have, you should have driven to Dallas <laughs> know, to get I know.
0: <laughs> but it's that kind of panicking, John, that I, because of growing up with the hurricanes and because of things like that, that I just have, z- I cannot abide it. I have zero tolerance for it. And I understand the idea. But like they're gonna, they all these people, they're not gonna use that water because their water from their taps gonna keep running whether they have coronavirus or not. The taps gonna work. It's going to work.
1: People get crushed in crowds racing to uh, like uh, get into concerts. I mean, people don't know how to uh, shelter in place or wait out a bad scene.
0: We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace because there's a lot of things you can do with your Squarespace website. I'm working on a brand new Squarespace website right now. I didn't even consider. I didn't even consider coding this thing by hand. Am I capable of? Co- of course I am. Of course I am. I could code up the best site in the world. Well, it might not look that great, but I could code something that worked and would validate and would be accessible and everything else. No problem. It would just take me a couple months. And then I'd have to maintain it. And then I'd have to fix bugs on it. And I wouldn't have anyone to call for support or help if something happened in the server. It would be all on me. And my designs are not that good, let's be honest. And I'm willing to bet that you're in the same boat that you have better things to do than design and maintain websites you just want to put your content out there and that's what squarespace is there for they do all that hard work they do everything that you don't want to have to do they let you get to the thing that you do best whether that's posting photography images or or providing services to people or shipping out or making and shipping out a product or developing an iOS app or whatever it is that you do it's probably not making and maintaining and supporting a website. So let Squarespace do that for you. They do so much stuff. They even let you register domains now. They got built-in SEO. They got secure hosting. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can customize everything. When you start using Squarespace, they don't jump in and say, enter all of your pertinent information. No. They start out by saying, pick a template that looks cool. What kind of business are you in? What kind of site are you going to make? You tell it, and it suggests some templates. You're not limited to those. It's just suggestions, man. Cool it. Slow your roll. Pick the template that you like. Customize it. Make it your own. No two templates will look alike once you've spent a few minutes customizing them. And that's the fun part too. Squarespace lets you make it yourself and make it stand out. So go over to squarespace.com roadwork. What will happen? Just visiting that URL says to Squarespace, we have listeners who want to support this show. Pretty cool. It's easy for you to do that. But while you're there, read, look, learn, see what Squarespace can do. And the next time that you are ready to start any kind of web project, use the code ROADWORK, one word, and you will save 10% off your first purchase. You can also use that not just for the first purchase of a website, but also for a domain. So if you want to register a domain with or without a website, you can do that Squarespace too. And you'll get 10% off your first purchase, no matter what you do, with that code ROADWORK. So thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible.
1: I think in compa- in contrast to your Florida experience, you know, growing up in Alaska, we don't up there have very many... I mean, there are storms, right? But there's no... There's no storm like a, um, like a hurricane or a tornado, nothing like that. There's every once in a while, you know, every, every, uh, February, there's a giant windstorm that happens kind of almost on (laughs) cue, but, um, you know, what you have up there are earthquakes, which you cannot predict. There's no way you can start a panic about an earthquake. Really? Right. Uh, you have, you have tsunamis, which, uh, which you only have six hours at the most. If there was a giant earthquake in, in Japan or whatever, I mean, there's a tsunami warning, but there's not, it's not like you can go stock up on anything. Right. But what Alaska has is, or at least used to all winter long, there was a kind of constant threat to you and your person in the form of just the, just nature essentially trying to batter down all of your human built defenses and come in and kill you. Right. Like if, so what Alaskans do is they always have an emergency blanket in their car, you know, like one of those space blankets. Yeah. Because if you're out and your car slips off the road in the dark and gets buried in the snow and you can't get out. Right. Real, a real serious potential problem you need to have a blanket that you can survive the night and you need to have whatever else you need to survive the night, you know, a candy bar or something. Now putting a bunch of water in your trunk is a bad idea because the water is going to freeze and then it's going to explode. So there, there are some basic things that you know about like what you need to do, right? You need to, you don't leave a, you don't leave a six pack of Coke in your car overnight because it's going to be a terrible, it's going to be a terrible mess when you wake up in the morning because things freeze and, and explode. So, but there's a basic kind of like in Seattle or in California or in Texas, you would never think, oh, I can't leave a bottle of water or a can of pop in my car overnight um, because it's not going to explode, right? Because it doesn't get to be zero degrees in right. this place. So, there's just, but there's a basic level of kind of preparedness. That at least used to exist in Alaska, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, there, there wasn't panic because none of the things that could kill you, um, were sudden, but there was preparedness because all of the things that could kill you were always trying to kill you all the time, even in the summer, you know, you could, all you have to do is drive off the road and in, and in Alaska, it's possible that you would just die there. Yeah. All you have to do is step off the road or not even step off the road. You could be on the road. <laughs> there's just, there's just too many, there's just too many dangers. Yeah. Um, but I think now probably the culture has changed in Alaska and it's changed as a result of a few things, Costco uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, and big box stores have yeah, have given us this thinking that you should stock up and Alaskans have a reason to stock up. Cause if there was a devastating earthquake and especially if it happened in the winter, you would lose water and power yeah. and all those things, you know, and if you lost water, power and electricity all at the same time and your house was really damaged and the roads were all broken and nobody could get to you, you had better be able to put some kind of plant together. You know, you'd better have some, some wood to make a fire and you'd better have supplies. Uh, and I think in the past we always assumed there would at least be snow for, um, for water. But these days, like in the dead of winter, sometimes it doesn't snow in Alaska anymore. So it's cold, dark and no, no snow. Right. So, and snow acts as an insulator too. Um, So you do have to be ready up there for, for cataclysm, but the big box stores have given us this idea that we need 50 steaks or whatever, or 500 rolls of toilet paper. Right. So there's that. And then there's just this general, like you're saying, Dan, this level of, I mean, it's an epidemic of panic that that didn't used to exist, you know, you, you, and I guess part of it was, there was a kind of sanguine feeling that if your time was up, if your number got called, uh, there wasn't, a, a, enough toilet paper in the world to protect you. I wonder if it isn't, you know, humans have always, have always had to struggle with the, with the, the sort of dichotomy that is, The fact that we are both incredibly resilient and incredibly fragile at the same time, human beings can survive so much can survive, not just in so many environments, but so many, you know, we survive so much injury. We survive so much disease. People can, can cling to life when they've been like brutally injured. Mm -hmm. And yet also you can catch the flu and die. You can catch the flu and die. You can get, you can drink some bad water and get dysentery and die before there's even a chance to get you medicine. Like you can slip on the ice and fall and crack your head and die. Mm -hmm. You can bonk your head on a door getting up in the morning and die. And those two truths, which are that there's somewhere right now, there's someone in a hospital who is still alive despite not having any brain function not having any ability to feed oneself or move even and yet also there will be somebody today that dies and no one can even figure out why and they were in perfect health and right so carrying those two ideas around in our heads all the time is just it's complicated And when you're young of course you do you feel like you're not going to Nothing bad's going to happen. But when Mm -hmm. you get older and you're like, wow, why did my friend Bill die when he was like a, he was super in shape and had a lovely family. But my friend Paul, who's been a drug addict for 40 years, still hanging on. And so what does that mean about me? And when I get up in the morning and go out like, and you know, you have a kid and you're just like, please don't get hurt. Like it's just a base level sort of like, please don't get hurt. And technology has made us feel even more like we should be able to survive anything. We should be able to live forever. Why are we still confined to these hundred year bodies when in our imaginations we can be superheroes, we can fly to Mars, we can, uh, we can fight with light, uh, savers. We can do all kinds of magic. Mm-hmm in our imaginations, but still we're just like, Hey, you made it to 85. Good work. (laughs) Yeah. 85, 85, 85. What is 85? 85. That's nothing compared to not even to the geologic scope or whatever. Like 85 just seems like we haven't even had time to process. Seriously, We're not even really sure what the novels that were written 85 years ago mean. Mm hmm um let alone the epic scope of history or whatever so i think as we get technologically distanced from a lot of the things that used to kill us that we used to have to kind of shrug and go like well i had 14 kids and only 4 of them survived mm-hmm. and 3 of them we didn't even bother naming because you know bef- until they're 5 years old we don't really bond with them uh to now where where it's you know every every sperm is sacred but for a different reason you know not not because <laughs> not because of god but because because you know so many of my peers are like well we elected not to have kids and it's like yeah i know i mean but your great grandmother had like 14 kids uh so i don't i i feel like that panic especially when confronting a flu which there's a, there's a growing awareness that it will be a flu. It will be a flu. It won't be zombies. Mm -hmm. It won't be nuclear apocalypse. It won't be any of the things that you've prepped for Mm -hmm. all the people that have guns stockpiled. Like it's going to be a flu. And that, it's just incomprehensibly sucky. Yes. Because what a flu, a flu. It's just, it's so it's, it's like, it's insulting. And I mean, there's a school here in Seattle. One of the school districts up North canceled class for the next two weeks. Kids are out of school for two weeks. Wow. Um, because like nine people have died in an old folks home and uh you know people are not going to work people are they are quarantining themselves but it's like how long do you think you and your kids can stay home i mean i'm not panicking right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Uh, i'm not even really that worried and maybe that's crazy because I am scared of sickness. Mm-hmm. And it is possible that the that the virus is, has some long incubation period that you can walk around with it and be infected by it and feel just fine. And then two weeks later, suddenly it seizes you. So maybe I already have it, Dan. Maybe I should have been sequestered months ago. Maybe I got it from a gas station attendant, I mean
0: it's uh very possible, but I mean, you know the other thing that that people need to think about is that there are a lot of people who will get it and and who won't die
1: uh right right, yeah, hopefully that's me
0: i mean you're you're in the age group of of people who don't seem to die from it, you're generally speaking,
1: well, most people don't die from it, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Tomorrow I'm going to get on an airplane yeah. with a bunch of other people from Seattle. Right? I'm not getting on an airplane with a random selection of Americans. I'm getting on an airplane with people from Seattle who are flying to Atlanta, one of the major hubs, global hub. Yes. Transportation. I'm going to get off the plane with all these other people from Seattle, all 19 of the people who are ahead of me in line for a first-class upgrade. I'm going to walk through the Atlanta airport to get on another plane to Florida, one of the most populous States. I'm going to then get on a cruise ship with 3,500 or however many nerds. And we're going to spend seven days completely trapped with each other. And if the disease is in me and incubating and I spread it to all 3,500 of them, when the boat docks again, those thirty five hundred people will go to the four corners of the earth mm-hmm. because they have come from there. <coughs> oh God, <coughs> there it is. See, so you know that's how that's how an epidemic does its thing. But uh, hang on, hang on,
0: I got to stockpile some water since you coughed. Yeah. Hold on, I'll be right, right. back.
1: Yeah. Get back. 400 things of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. I definitely have gone... I've definitely looked at people who were going to Europe on, their, on their, uh, their freshman tour or whatever and asked them, like, what's in their suitcase? And, you know, they show me all this stuff that they have. And I'm like, you know, they sell toothpaste in France. They have... They have pens in France also. You know, like they they're going to some place they're going to France, but they have brought all the, they're panicked, you know, a little bit that they're going to get to France and there's not going to be band-aids there. Yeah. And I'm like, there's band-aids in France. Yeah. Like you can, you can just, if you need these things, unless you need a band-aid right now, like in France, you're going to have as much access to band-aids as you do here. So unless you're carrying band-aids with you all the time here, you're not going to need to carry them with you all the time in France. You only need them when you get an alley. Mm -hmm. That said, I always, when traveling do carry toilet paper because you cannot always find toilet paper when you need it. And there's nothing worse than not being able to find toilet paper. So this is just a little advice to everybody. You don't need to carry band-aids if you're going to France, but you should always carry a roll of toilet paper squashed into a Ziploc bag. End of lecture. I
0: like that. And and if I found out that people were hoarding toilet paper, I would say that makes sense. You're stuck at home for a week, two weeks, whatever. You're going to need the toilet paper. But why do you need toilet paper if the water's not working? Do you think regular people know how to handle h- disposal of human waste without a toilet in their house?
1: Mm, it's going to be hard. I don't that's,
0: think so. That's they're why they're not the thinking dysentery. about
1: that problem.
0: They're thinking about the problem of I'm going to be thirsty while I'm watching the game. Yeah. There will be no game if you're digging a hole in the backyard to bury your poop. You won't care about the game, but you will want that hand sanitizer. So I get the hand sanitizer. I get the toilet paper but they're sort of dependent on the water too and the power.
1: Yeah. You, you need to know how to bury your poop. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not that hard. Uh, watch a cat, a cat buries its poop. But, but people aren't thinking this
0: is not, this is not what's on the news. We're going to teach you tonight how to bury poop. What's on the news is, uh, This is all the N95 masks are sold out and uh, there's nothing at Costco. And my mom texted me from Florida and said that they're limiting how many cases of bottled water you can buy to three or four because people are just in Costco, the doors open. And when the doors open, there are
1: hundreds of people outside waiting to get bottled water. I think Costco is part of the problem. I think Costco is a problem. I think the mentality of Costco is a problem. Um, but, you know, I think Costco is great if you are the cook on a crab boat. If you are the <laughs> right, cook, right. let's say you're a cook on a, uh, on like a, a Noah icebreaker. Mm-hmm or a Coast Guard icebreaker, if you're a cook on one of those and you are feeding between 18 and 90 sailors, Mm -hmm. thank goodness for Costco. Am I right? Yes. Uh, But if you are a family of four or really anything less than a family of seven, Costco is, uh, is not a place that you should go really or even be a member of. My dad loved Costco Mm -hmm. and when he died, part of his, uh, part of his estate was 14 boxes of Kleenex that I inherited, uh, that it took me 10 years to get through. I don't use a lot of Kleenex. You know, when I'm looking for, when I'm looking for something, it's not the Kleenex box I go to. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time. And I have to say there were times when I was like, ah, I could use a Kleenex. And then I remembered, I have a room full of Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in those, in those cases, normally, like now, for instance, when I, the rare occasion when I'm like, I, ah, I wish, I wish that I had something that was softer than a paper towel, slightly bigger than a, square of toilet paper somewhere on a softness matrix equivalent to the kind of nice toilet paper I buy but just slightly bigger I wish it was in a box mm-hmm that happens to me sometimes rarely and I'm like I don't have a box of Kleenex right now <laughs> but I don't want it enough to go buy a box of Kleenex but my dad gave me this this wonderful inheritance and, Was uh, that the only thing that? The, the only other, thing that I got from my dad? Just Kleenex. Uh, uh. My dad never threw away a wallet, so I inherited like f- between five and nine, like really thrashed wallets with old um, library cards and membership cards in gyms that don't exist anymore. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I think when he when he, when a wallet finally ran out for him and he bought a new wallet. He didn't transfer all the cards to the new wallet. I think as he was going through the cards, he realized that card doesn't work anymore. And so rather than throw it away or the wallet away, he just left that card in the wallet. So I have eh, between five and nine wallets Mm -hmm. of my dad's that have cards in them from decades past. What else did I inherit from him? You know, the clothes of his that I that I assimilated into my closet. I'd done a long time before my dad was a very cool dresser in my estimation until he met his girlfriend, Karen, and he met her in about 1982. And Karen was a modern woman. She was a psychologist and she redecorated my dad's house. She had very high standards. She wanted things to be a certain way. And she redecorated my dad. Um, She took him down to the Nordstrom half yearly men's sale and she, she dressed him up in sort of mid to late eighties adult man style, which I don't gravitate to. It's not the style that I like. And so it was a great boon to me because I got to go into his closet at that point and, take the 60s and 70s and fi- and 50s clothes that he still had and, you know, like take the ones that weren't nailed down before they got thrown away. But ever since Karen, and Karen and my dad probably dated for 10 years, hmm. but after that, after Karen or AK, <laughs> my dad never regained any kind of, really valid personal style. He sort of, he bounced around a little bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but he never, he never got back on his feet. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of stuff in my dad's closets that, that came with me. But my brother, David, my brother, David, who hated my dad and hated him for 50 years. And my dad and my brother, David never forgave one another. Uh, my dad tried and tried and tried, but you know, my dad's way of trying is he, he, he never gave David what he, what David needed because David was a bottomless pit of need. Mm. But David in my dad's final days, because David was a registered nurse for some period of his life before he lost his, his accreditation. David came to the hospital and was nursing my dad. Nobody could believe it. He didn't have a kind word to say to him, but he was like washing his feet, all this crazy stuff. And then when my dad died, David, of all people, took my dad's clothes, his old clothes, University of Washington Huskies jacket, Hmm. you know, this just crazy stuff. And he, you know, and that became David's wardrobe, my dad's old fleece was the strangest thing because you know i'm a sentimentalist but i was like ugh all those all those after karen clothes they can just go right to the thrift store david <laughs> david was like i'll take them and sure enough sure enough the next three or four times i saw him he was dressed head to toe in my dad's clothes it's like all right whatever oh, that's weird. however forgiveness works in you yeah weirdo <laughs> I don't know if I told you, but David died a couple of weeks ago. Huh? And, uh, <clears throat> it's been really, it's been really interesting because I didn't like David. David didn't like me. David was not a good older brother to me. He was the, he got me drunk for the first time when I was eight. Mm. He was just a jerk. And, uh, the, and, you know, and we're liberals, right? right. So yeah. we're very susceptible to the argument that he had a, you know, that he had a hard childhood or that he was in pain and that he should be, we should have sympathy for him because of his pain. This is kind of one of those like arguments that liberals make that conservatives and libertarians don't really aren't aren't convinced by okay, like, Oh, this, this person did a bad thing, but it's not their fault because they were hurt or because they're suffering. You know, that's a thing that a lot of conservatives go, what? That's not law and order. It's the compassionate side. Mm. And so we're very like that in my family, but I can, I could not have any compassion for my brother. I don't, I don't care that he was hurt. We're all hurt. We all had the same freaking family, uh, that, uh, he was a person that was hurt and then he decided that he was going to spread that hurt around to everybody else, which makes him like, n- no, not one of the good ones, but your brother only dies once in a while in this life, right? It's not a thing that it's not a thing that you go, well, the 14th time my brother died, I had gotten, a, you know, I had a handle on it or something. So it was weird because my whole life, we all expected David was going to die at any moment. Really? Yeah. I mean, when David was 35, it didn't look like he had much longer to live and he lived to be 70. Like, what are the chances? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, For myself, the idea that the kind of lack of forgiveness that haunted my dad, because my dad never forgave his dad, and then David never forgave my dad. I didn't have any trouble forgiving my dad. But trying to wrestle with the fact that, am I going to not forgive my brother? I mean, why would I carry that around? I don't want to. I don't want to like persist in this family curse of having some person that died that you never forgave. But, you know, but he's also a dick. It's like hard to, Mm. hard to figure out exactly what my responsibility to myself is in terms of, I don't know. There's a lot. I still have a lot of work to do on that, that I didn't figure I had to do. But then when he died, I realized, oh shit, I do have some, I kind of, you know, I kind of wanted to write a <clears throat> mean spirited eulogy really, where I, where I wrote down all of the things about him that were despicable and I didn't do that because who was I going to read it to, you know, who, like nobody in my family, they're all trying to get on down the road too. You know, nobody wants to sit with me and go, I mean, my sister and I talked about it quite a bit, but Susan was sheltered. I mean, my, my job in my family was to shelter Susan from all of the, um, from all of the shitty people. And it wasn't, I didn't, in a lot of cases, didn't choose that job. It was just that I was taller and standing in front of her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, so, but she, you know, she also had her issues with him. She just has a little bit more like sense of humor about it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to put, I'm still trying to put those events together. That little bit of these little, these little mirrors that get held up to you sometimes where you're just kind of, bu- you're bouncing along all of a sudden something is like, Oh, better, you know, uh, it's not even like better take a look at this because you're going to need this skill or something. It's, it's so, it's so random. It's like, Oh, here's the thing you weren't thinking about. You're like, wow, that I don't need that right now. You know, I don't need to, but apparently that's what, you know, it comes in random order. Anyway, I, I I put it immediately into a box and I hadn't thought about my brother David for the last 3 weeks until mm-hmm. I started talking about my dad's clothes. Mm-hmm. So there there he is again. He just showed up and standing <laughs> over there waving waving uh, at me like and I'm like, "Yeah, great. How did you get in here?" Yeah. Uh, I don't think of my family as a bad family. No. You know, I don't think of my childhood as bad. I don't think of... It wasn't easy, though, John. Yeah, but nobody's childhood is easy. I mean, I can't admit... I don't know if I have ever met somebody whose childhood was easy. Maybe maybe there are people all around me whose childhoods were easy, and it's just one of those inner voice, outer voice things where we don't realize, like, wait a minute, we're surrounded by people whose childhoods were easy. But I don't think... I don't think... Excuse me. I don't think easy childhood is a norm? It might be. I don't think so, but I don't know. Honestly, when you drive I know, through a neighborhood. I know, don't
0: you know people who are like had a good childhood or I was just talking to a friend the other day and you know, she was, she was talking to me about how like her childhood for better or for worse, whatever struggles and other issues she had, but she was describing to me that uh, an overall feeling of carefree, there was a carefree feeling of childhood and she was saying, you know, before like before and even into college, it it like her high school was very hard, a very, very demanding, a very hard high school that she went to. But she's saying that all up before that and then again in college, it was like, wow, like this is great. It was carefree. It was fun. I never, I never had any of that. I never felt like any aspect of my life was carefree ever, including now. I've never had that feeling where, I remember another one of my friends uh, was, you know, talking about what their therapist said, and I guess they were having issues with depression and anxiety. And their therapist's advice at one point was something like, you know, think of a time when you think back on your life where you still felt like you were carefree and happy and even innocent. And she's like, and for me, you know, that was twelve years old. And and there, she's like, you know, try to remember what it felt like to be twelve and, and capture that, and that can help you. Whatever. I'm like. I, She's like, what was that age for you? I'm like, I none, never. I never felt that way ever in my whole life. I've never felt carefree or like I could just go and do what I wanted. Never, 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 never. But there are people, yeah. John, who I think do feel that way. And I, I, I think that's great, but it,
1: I certainly wasn't one of them. Yeah. Well, me either, but, but, um, it's kind of it's kind of like the resilience to injury thing. It's amazing how different our experiences can be and yet we all share the same world, you right, know? Right. Like we line up outside of a public restroom and we all go in and use it in our turn and there's very little in a public restroom, right? There's a <laughs> there's a porcelain bowl with some water in it and there's a sink with some water in it and there's a Either a paper towel dispenser, yeah, or not. There's a door, and yet you can have 2,000 people, and each one goes in and finds something to do in there, which testifies to our remarkable similarity to one another, yeah. And yet you can have such a different experience of life, uh that that really doesn't always show on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's why people get facial tattoos to communicate. Like I have had a different experience of life and it's visible, right? You know, I make it visible on me so that, so that there's no mistaking that I have not just, just bounced along like a happy ball. But there are an awful lot of us that didn't get facial tattoos that that's also true of, and some who have had a really really rough go, and yet they you know they have a they have a happy disposition, carefree demeanor. Even more amazing to me are the are the people that survived things that I that I can't imagine surviving, right, right, and right. also are happier than me. And also are, or at least like more capable of just getting things done. And, and I don't know what it's like when they close their eyes at night, but they, when they wake up in the morning, they are nice to people and they Mm -hmm. wait patiently in line at the DMV unfathomable, the variation within such a narrow range